the only person I've heard uh, like actor nominations is like Brendan Fraser for mm-hmm. The Whale. That's the one person I've kept on hearing again. Yeah, and again. Yeah, yeah. I would love for Pharrell to win uh, because I think he's like incredible in this. But uh, yeah, yeah, but. I think uh, the guy Austin Butler who plays Elvis, people are pushing uh, him. I'm not wild about the film. Um, did you see it? I have not seen. I did see it. Yeah, I, I wasn't as wild about it as some okay. people. I, I thought it was quite exciting for about an hour, and then the excitement wore off. And then once mm. the excitement wears off with that film, you sort of begin to see the limitations with it. I think it's a yeah. you know it's very Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, I can expect that. I mean, I, I remember he's <laughs> one of the few filmmakers who, like, the first 10 minutes of Moulin Rouge, I think, gave me nausea. I like the film. I just, uh, it's just so wild that I, I, I genuinely felt nauseous. You get motion uh, sickness, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, on that note, we can introduce the <laughs> the, uh, the episode, I guess. Uh, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to today's uh, podcast. We have a returning but very special guest returning because he's only been on the podcast once uh i think that episode did really well also so thank you for listening to that but this is uh mike mckayhill i don't think I'm, i need to introduce a lot of the stuff that i did before he's written for guardian he's written for reader's digest he has a great blog which i'm going to again post or publicize and uh, especially i will publicize the decision to leave review which i thought was fantastic uh but yes mike do you want to say hello to everyone hello yeah no thank you for having me back i'm looking forward to this we've got some interesting yeah. films to talk about yeah we've i've got an englishman for uh for irish films is that <laughs> is that an aberration of some kind or uh yeah i think my my irish friends would probably object to that yeah getting colonizer okay. in to to give his opinion on everything or you know a lot of time is a lot of water's passed under the bridge (laughs) yes so if that's i mean i don't know if people would catch the hint that who we are talking about but we are talking about martin mcdonough uh who's uh come out with a film this year which has been critically acclaimed almost across the board like i've only read a minimal amount of criticism about it and uh we are going to of course discuss it along with in bruges which is the kind of first union between uh the three, the two actors and the director, Martin McDonough. So the two actors are Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson. So first we're going to discuss uh, Banshees. But before that, actually, I'll ask Mike, what do you, what's your introduction to sort of Martin McDonough? And like uh, the, uh, the one specific thing I actually wanted to ask you, because I've never gotten a chance to do this, is have you seen his plays and how they, how they compare to sort of... Uh, yeah. No, I haven't because I'm not really okay. a sort of theatre guy. But mm-hmm. his reputation in theatre sort of has preceded him, and and mm-hmm. uh, the Lieutenant of Inishmore, which I think was sort of mid noughties was, was yep. a play that was sort of proclaimed as this masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And one of the re- one of the reasons that he got onto the radar of various studios and and ended up making movies. I think mm-hmm. you know to some degree his reputation has always been that of an incredibly talented theatre maker mm-hmm. who almost happens to have got behind a, a camera you know yeah. it's someone who whose script writing was so sound mm. and so strong and so striking um yeah. that he caught the ear of, of people who were reading scripts at a certain point and said you know would you fancy directing a movie and and yeah. i think he did a short movie uh with brendan gleason which was uh Six very shooter. well acclaimed yes i think yeah. which is sort of nominated for a BAFTA, i think and then um and then in Bruges was where I sort of was introduced to him mm-hmm. um, as a filmmaker, and we'll, we'll we'll get on to talking about that. But yeah. obviously, since then, he has gone on to bigger and and um, starrier American films. He did mm-hmm. Seven Psychopaths, and then yeah. Three Billboards, but, and yeah. now um, the Fancy's Back Manchurian. to smaller roots, I guess. Is that? Is this his back to smaller? Well, yeah. I mean, it's strange, you know, because Three Billboards was such a sort of prominent. Yeah, uh, I was, was going to ask you what what do you think of that film? Have has your opinion sort of changed on it, or were you always a bit sort of? I know it's got a very dodgy reception. It's got a, like yeah, it's got a sort of is. mixed critical yeah. reputation because I, mm-hmm. I seem to remember when it debuted at one of the film festivals, it mm-hmm. got sort of universally rave reviews, and then what yeah. happened was it went on general release and. Yeah. Uh, people who weren't at the festivals who don't run uh, don't run on the festival circuit yep. got the chance to have a look at it and said, "Well, hang on, there's there's some stuff in here that's clearly objectionable, and yep. um, we need to have a discussion about this." Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, when a film then 
gets onto the awards radar, that conversation gets louder and louder and louder, yeah. and, and people, people are more inclined to push back against what was, you know, the, the first wave of yeah. reviews. Yeah. Um, I I thought Three, Bull- Three Billboards was reasonably funny up to a point, mm-hmm. uh, reasonably interesting up to a point, mm-hmm. um, and when those re- when those longer pieces came out about the politics of it, mm-hmm. I could absolutely see what those writers were writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, there is stuff in it that is objectionable, and you know that is well, you, just just a bit off. I mean, yep. you know, um, stuff that is, and I think this is something that we'll come back to in the course of our discussion today. Yep. You know, at what point does Martin McDonough make a distinction between a funny joke and a cruel joke and sometimes mm-hmm. i think he gets the balance right and sometimes i think he gets the balance wrong yeah um and there were certainly points in three billboards, three billboards where it just struck my ear as, as you know that's not really yeah. that funny that's just a bit glib and throwaway and, yeah. and cruel. um so i get i mean going into you know banshees this as you said this this does seem to be one of martin mcdonald's films that everybody seems to have embraced on the mm-hmm. both on the festival circuit and and you know, with the film now on general release, and we're now going into this awards corridor, if you like, yeah. um, it does seem to be the one. And I've, I've read some commentary from people who know Oscars and, and know the awards circuit, mm-hmm. so that this may actually be in what has been quite a sort of sc- another scattered year for mm-hmm. mainstream American cinema. This seems to be the one that most people seem to have got something out of um the reviews have been broadly positive i mean if you look at some of the other films that are being talked about in terms of awards contention this year and you know this is ultimately not my job you know i'm a film critic i'm there to talk about whether this would do a job for you on a friday or saturday night or or whatever but um you know films like elvis i know it has its supporters i know equally a lot of people that just found that film very empty and hollow after Mm -hmm. a while um everything everywhere all at once which again you know there are people out there who love that movie i I quite like them i I can't imagine that movie playing well with the oscar jury or like the typical oscar jury but but i i get i get the point yeah Yeah. i mean it it, it is i think there's always a space on the sort of best picture category list for a a movie that has kind of outperformed expectation and that's the kind of small sleeper hit movie (laughs) over the summer months that, that, that sort of people gravitated towards and people really like. Yeah. And I, I think there is a lot to like about the movie, but oh, equally, yeah. I, yeah, there are people who just think that movie is too much, you know, yeah. and, and and therefore will sort of not vote not, for it when yeah. it comes to it. Yeah. Whereas this, I think, you know, is an example of the kind of smart, adult, um, well-written, literate, funny, character-based cinema that is kind mm. of missing from the multiplexes nine, yeah. ten months of the year. Yeah. This does seem to to fit it fit that gap perfectly, so yeah. um, I can see why people are are, are gravitating around, gravitating mm-hmm. towards it. Yeah, I almost feel like uh, from a personal sort of. I I used to be one of those really annoying people who followed the Oscars like extremely like uh, <laughs> diligently, but I think I've sort of lost faith in uh, very very quickly. Actually, I've lost faith, uh, but. Uh, I don't know, like when I watched Banshees, I was like, maybe this film is too small for the Oscars almost. I, I almost felt that it was a little too small. Uh, and then because I know what, what the other stuff that's coming is sort of Fableman, which I think is like one of the shoe-ins for just everything. Uh, yeah. And then there's sort of Avatar, which will 100% get some uh, some recognition, I would assume. Um, I, I thought those are the sort of big, big hitters that will be... Um, there i mean i i also saw armageddon time by james gray which i That's thought right. which i thought would be a good contender but it's i almost seem we'll some this is a discussion for some other day but james gray is someone i really respond to but i think a lot of people have very mixed feelings on so i think including sort of oscar uh juries in in, in that uh, respect so i think babylon is coming out by damien chazelle sometime later this year so yeah. I'm just guessing all those will maybe are the flashier sort of titles that might get the attention and Banshees might just sort of get that screenplay nomination and win, which generally is the thing that happens <laughs> to all. Uh... Well, I mean, there has there has been a shift, hasn't there, in the recent times that, you know, Coda, Green Book, mm-hmm. 
Moonlight. These are not necessarily those That's big true. starry studio movies that have. And actually, one of the, the factors that Banshees has on its side is that it's the sort of film that will play very well if you're watching it on a screener disc in your yeah, in your home. That's true. That's and true. I think actually that that ultimately is what sways a lot of voters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Coda doesn't necessarily fill a big screen, but it might yep. just work sitting in your front room. You know, with yep. your guard down. Um, I think this Banshees because my. my Martin Madonna is not necessarily a big Damien Chazelle or Baz Luhrmann style shot maker. Yeah. It won't lose anything when it's playing yeah. in your I front agree. room. And yeah. actually, I think you know that there's a significant number of Oscar voters who only go to see who only see movies on screeners in their front mm. room. And this yeah. is the sort of thing that will will serve them very well. I think. Yeah. I think that's the one I will. I'm expecting that criticism to be lodged against this film in the coming <laughs> months uh, about the cinematic sort of quality of it and the sort of because I mean I, I it feel, like when I watched it the first time I was like it feels a bit in, inevitable that that will be the case even though mm-hmm. I do think there are some uh, elements of it that are sort of visually pretty uh, interesting at least so it does but anyways the film itself is about two fil- two friends uh, well uh, <laughs> two people <laughs> who were friends uh, yes. and it's kind of a breakup film uh, which you described in your review too and how it's at the, just at the beginning of the film itself, these two people sort of decide to, one of them says that I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And then the other person kind of tries to, throughout the film, I think, tries to figure out how to respond to it. Like, I guess in, in some ways, and then that's sort of paralleled with the other characters in the village of, or the island, sorry, of Inishiran, and then how, how that transpires. If I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. I just don't like you no more. Have you been rowing? Have you been rowing? Have we been rowing? Well, you are rowing. It does look like we're rowing. You can't just stop being friends with a fella. He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been dull. Maybe this whole thing has just been about getting you to stand off for yourself. Oh, you fatty. Not so much your dog, is it? What did you come here for? I just came to kick your door in and give you a slagging. You're talking to Parry no more. That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? What I've decided to do is this. I have a set of shears at home, and each time you bother me, I'll take one of my fingers off with them. Starting from now. But shush like Parry. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. I think both of us do really like it on some level, and I think what I want to kind of do is just like go and discuss spoilers if if there's any spoilers as such because I don't want to like walk around or like tiptoe around the sort of actual material in the film because I think it's fairly rich uh, in terms of discussion if we if we actually focus on sort of specifics and everything so yeah go ahead Mike I'll chime in I think you know it it has an inherently funny premise you know I was talking to a friend a couple of months before it came out and they were asking me what it's about and I said it's about two grown men who decide Mm. they don't want to be friends anymore and that's an inherently funny setup you know it's a great great starting point for a joke but the thing is that's not all of with this movie mm-hmm. is that within sort of 15, 20 minutes after the initial sort of, after we've established that the two main characters aren't going to be friends anymore, mm-hmm. it then becomes sort of oddly melancholy and sad because you realize these are two men on an Island who don't have, where there isn't much going on. They don't necessarily have a huge amount going on in their lives. Yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of there for, I mean, that's where the film starts with the Colin Farrell character going round to Brendan Gleeson's house at two yeah. in the afternoon to see if he wants to go to the pub. Oh, they have yeah. nothing else better to do with their time. Yeah. Um, it, it gets, it gets funnier because of course they're stuck on this small island, so they can't yeah. avoid one another. And yeah. it's almost the case where you can't imagine them talking to one another any less after the breakup than, you know, the, the, yeah. because it's a Martin Madonna movie. All they do is talk Stop, for 90 yeah. minutes, 100 minutes, yeah. whatever it yeah. is. But equally, it gets sadder as it goes on because you realise yeah. that actually, you know, the, these are men who can't quite handle the, most, the emotion that all this has, brought, has yeah. brought up in them. And it is, it is, I think it is the first Martin Madonna movie that actually looks goes a little deeper looks a little deeper looks under the surface of the characters and looks under the surface of the dialogue to yeah. get to some idea about masculinity and about the way men mm. uh 
communicate with one another, the way we interact with one another, and how that is at once both funny and sad. And yeah. so it's this, it's this, it's beautifully balanced. Where mm. at the point where comedy meets tragedy, okay. mm. um, and I think I, I came out of it, and I actually went to see it with one of my closest friends. Um, yeah. And we, you know, we, the good news is we're still friends. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't decided to break up. Um, but I, 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 I turned and said, I don't know if you feel the same way. And it, it turns out that he did. But I don't mm. think I, I, I've seen a film where I've laughed more and yet come away feeling so blue, so melancholy, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, and that, that's the, the weird sort of double-edged effect that it has, that it is very funny and yeah. more than slightly sad at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, uh, so I've, I'm not, so I, I always think whichever film makes me cry, is a like it's a big deal for me because I don't cry easy in films, so I feel uh, whichever film does that, or, and actually I've realized even makes me laugh this consistently because I was laughing almost throughout, like a lot of the time, and some of it's really hysterical. And I think uh, I and there were I think there's one scene in which I did both, and I kind of just it probably I gave away how like I all it took all my sympathy like any critical faculty I guess you say if you if you oh, have God. right yeah and you just they're just response. like yeah you're just like everything yeah. after that just works even though you like second time I watched it I was like okay I can see some some uh different sort of issues maybe that are probably there in terms of I think I'll flag up the issue because that's my only kind of major issue is the character of uh, Mrs. McCormack who's the witch almost like a I almost described it as seven seal. She is, she is the banshee, isn't it? Because there's, yeah. there's a, there's a uh, figure in Irish folklore who is the banshee, who's a woman mm-hmm. who smokes pipe, and so yeah. she she is literally the banshee on, on yeah. in this. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought they had kind of evoked, or Mark McDonough had kind of evoked the feeling of her as being this almost larger than all the other supernatural. characters, supernatural. Yeah, level, yeah. Uh, I think they already had establish that so there's a moment in the film where she almost becomes like a fortune teller and she's like someone is going to die and in in, uh in sharon and i i on the second watch i was like i'm not sure if we even needed that scene because i thought that was like kind of a an extra almost element to to the whole thing but apart from that i i think again i i guess i respond a lot to his humor i respond a lot to his and this i thought was tragic from actually the first sequence itself i like i like you know the whole it's almost like a montage where it begins where he's going through the throughout the island and the first shot you see is of this rainbow in the background and by the time he's arrived uh near uh brendan gleason's house it's like clouds have come over and i was like oh, there's already that sort of uh, tension which i thought was Terrific. That's what uh, the film does. Yeah. I think that that's you know, in in a nutshell, it, it has its own sort of ecosystem and it it has its own microclimate. So you have yep. scenes that are in, in, incredibly funny, and all of a sudden there's a light drizzle of melancholy. That you know, yep. there's just a line or two that just changes the mood or something. Yep. You know, the yep. clouds come over, and then the sun comes out again, and the next scene is is brilliantly funny in that Martin McDonough way. Yeah. No, absolutely, and I think uh, I. I maybe the first time I, I watched, I was also noticing how sometimes maybe, and I, I you said that a lot of the times Martin McDonough characters talk so much that you know you kind of there's little breathing room for the introspection almost, and it's like they're covering whatever they're feeling with their profanities and words, which I think is a running thing in all all of his films. But I think uh, in this, I was just I thought there were silences or at least. Uh, elements where Colin Farrell's looking outside from the window into his house, which have a really uh, haunting and really like, mel- like melancholic, I think is the best word to put it. But all those shots are, yeah. yeah, all those shots of them on their own in their houses are, you know, they, they, they do add up to something. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm still not convinced that Madonna is, is a great shot maker uh, yeah. or that he, you know, he, he has much visual sense. I think mm-hmm. both here and in Bruges, mm-hmm. he, he just happens to have, picked a very scenic backdrop yeah. and you can yeah. set, he just sets the camera up anyway and you, you're yeah. going to get something from that backdrop yeah. but those those isolated portraits of men sitting on their own and those tiny 
houses yeah. with nothing else. You, you know, there's no TV on. Um, I don't yeah. think there's a radio. I think you know, there's a, there's a record yeah. player if, uh, at most in Brennan Gleeson. Animals, are, are, yeah, are, animals. Yeah, animals. Yeah, that, that's like the only thing. life there is yeah. in these in these houses. And I think just collectively, those those little portraits of men on their own do add yeah. up to something. Yeah, yeah. I think I. I, I I do think this is one of those films where he actually does something with words that he hasn't done in his other scripts, mm-hmm. which is that he manages to enlarge because it's quite a small world. Yep. If you sort of look back on that film, it's essentially two houses divided, yep. and then a pub and a church and a general yep. store. Yeah. Um, but the way he uses so, for example, the, the scenes in the general store are, mm. for me, examples of places where Martin McDonald just suddenly expands the world of that film because you yeah. have people coming in with news and gossip, and that's Absolutely. a place really where the characters go to share their news and gossip, yep. um, even if they have it, you know, knocked down as shite news as, <laughs> as the, the storekeeper. And of course, there's that brilliant yeah. thing where everyone who goes in the shop has to say to the storekeeper. I can't stay long because clearly yeah. it's established that she's a character who does nothing all day but stand behind a <laughs> counter talking and she can talk the hind legs of a donkey. Yeah. Um, you, you know, do you have that phrase? That talk the yeah, hind yeah. legs? Yeah. I mean, I, I've yeah. heard of it, yes. Well, it, you know, it just means, you know, someone who obviously can just talk all day. And yep. in a film where there is a donkey and a donkey yeah. that is placed in mortal peril at various points, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the general storekeeper is... But, you know, that, that is an example of Martin Madonna using those words to yep. expand the range of this world to suggest there are other lives on this island. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess he does it more overtly also with the whole Civil War backdrop in the sense that they are kind of isolated. But what you think about the uh, the general store scenes? And I think there's a couple of... And I think this ties into... Uh, for me, the film kind of is a lot about his character like uh Padraig, I think that's his name. Uh yeah. That's Colin Farrell. Uh his character kind of transforming from this simple, nice, quote unquote, dull guy. And I think one of the one of the really good things and one of the things that kind of touched me was also that they equate nice and dull. And it's just that idea of niceness. Cause because I the the general store scene also emphasizes that again, the whole idea that the value of niceness is not that's not news even for for anyone i think that's that's what um because uh, i think the police inspector who's the father of barry keoghan's character who's a fairly critical character by the end of the film at least uh, uh he kind of i think he the colin Farrell's character tells the shopkeeper that he the police inspector hit his son with a kettle and then there's a whole inappropriate thing going on there which is I yeah. think for the first time he's not like explicitly shown anything mm-hmm. there. It was very very much sort of dialogue driven, and I thought that was impressive. Uh, but this idea of her not even considering that news, and then she just dismisses it by saying that if I was young enough, I would have hit him with the thing also. And I think that kind of adds up to this whole idea of uh, why Colin Farrell's character almost needs to embrace the sort of. Uh, different form of masculinity and uh and i think that's the sort of i mean i i really connected to the whole idea of masculinity in a way sort of where the silence is like a currency almost like that becomes a sort of thing yeah that's, uh, intel like intellect almost and almost like you know that that idea that uh colm who's uh brendan gleason his character is considered to be this uh, the enlightened one almost and and on the second watch I was like I get I, I understand why he turns away I just don't know if he turns away in any ways that's meaningful though like I don't understand if he does anything with his life well for a long for the for the first part of the movie I did wonder whether he was just doing it as a wind-up because there's that yeah. scene in the um, there's a scene in the pub where he's where he says something and Colin Farrell storms off and mm. uh Kerry Condon who, uh, Condon, who plays the sister, yes. there yeah. and um, so something, and the Gleason character says, "Oh, I quite like him now," or something. Yeah. You think, oh, "Well, is he just playing with the Colin Farrell character just yeah. to give yeah. himself something to do?" do because yeah. clearly, yeah, yeah. he's a he's a cultured man. He's got music. He, you know, yeah. he, he writes tunes. Um, yeah. You know, is he just sort of playing? Is he yeah. is he playing Colin Farrell the way he plays his fiddle? fiddle you know, yeah. is this the whole thing just a wind yeah. up? Um, but actually, as the film goes on, you realise that actually it's 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 not that it's it, it's it's this weird sort of 
idea of self-reliance and self-sufficiency yep. that we men sometimes I think it, it gets sort of instilled into us by our fathers and by mm -hmm. you know the the relatives who've who've lived out yeah. on the plains somewhere and you yeah. know man's no, cowboys and things like that and yeah. it, you know, I, I think that can be as damaging as anything else that mm -hmm. idea of self self-sufficiency and yeah. i you know self-isolation yeah absolutely i mean i think uh i i remember i mean there's uh, there's so many scenes I really like in this film to talk about. I, I was thinking about like a specific, I think my, like I'll get to this scene because I think it kind of gets at the heart of what the film is for me and kind of just does everything. And it leads, leads into sort of what you were saying about the whole isolation aspect of it. And uh, this is, this is also the scene where the script gets most explicit about its themes, but I didn't mind it because I thought uh, it did it in a way where I, I, well, I cried, so I guess that's that was <laughs> that was the important thing for me. But I, but I think it's like the scene where he gets drunk. Padraig gets drunk, and he goes and uh, goes to the bar, and then he basically uh, talks to uh, or well shouts at uh, Colm, and he's basically like, uh, "Did were you nice? Uh, you used to be nice." Uh, and then he shifts uh, like his next sentence is, "Did you used to be nice?" And then he's like, "Oh God." you maybe you were never nice which i thought was one of the sort of which is i think the whole film actually he goes from those one statement to a next to and maybe the last one like the ending is fairly bleak i feel uh though though i he's I second guessing the entire friendship that they had yes. i think that's yeah. the thing you know it's that thing of oh my god did we not actually have something and I, I, yeah. I think that happens in in any breakup any, between yeah. You know, man and women, women and women. Yeah. You know, just generally, yeah. you go back over the relationship and and think, you know, my God, was that actually what I thought it was, or was yeah. I deluded the whole way through it? And yeah. then I think some kind of self protection thing kicks in. You go, oh, well, maybe it didn't matter anyway, or whatever. Right. And then you know, that's when things get sort of nasty and cruel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I did. I mean, it, it like I say, it is it is full of that kind of writing, which mm. sort of turns on a dime and, and can be incredibly funny one minute yeah. and then you know slightly um sad or, or melancholy or you yeah. know even disturbing or in some way um yeah and i think that's why it has the cumulative effect that it does um we should also probably talk about the, the actors and yes. madonna's work with actors which i think is, is had is one element that has clearly got stronger and stronger and stronger and it may well have been that he had this in his theater days and, and yeah. this is something that comes from those long afternoons in rehearsal um yeah. The way he deploys those actors is, yep. it, it, for me, it's like a it's like a whole quantum leap on from what he was doing with the American actors and Three Billboards, hmm. um, where I think that there's there's a degree of deference to the American actors and Three Billboards that I think here he's much more on a level with Fowl and Gleason, and and mm -hmm. and clearly you know suggestions have been received and been knocked back yep. and forth in the sense that collectively working towards you know yep. lifting. Yeah, the film. you had, you'd written something about. Colin Farrell's eyebrows. I, it's like Farrell's eyebrows, eyebrows. Yeah, yes, it's, yes. They, they, they merit <laughs> a, a paragraph or two on. They merit yeah. paragraph. I mean, they, they merit a paragraph or two generally. I think he, yeah. he does have the best eyebrow. If you're looking, yeah. I was making some mental lists while watching it because this is the sort of mad stuff that goes through my mind when I'm watching movies <laughs> of the the best eyebrows in cinema. And I think you know Farrell has got to be on there. Eugene Levy from American Pie, mm. Lee Pace, the American actor. Uh, Camilla Bell, who was a sort of young American actress who was sort mm. of briefly prominent. Um, I think Cara Delevingne, people think that she has amazing eyebrows as well. So I think, you know, if you're making, you could make a, a top five or top ten. But <laughs> Farrell's eyebrows episode. would be very close to the top of that list of best yeah. eyebrows in cinema. Yeah. Um, but he does something completely different with them. Although it certainly mm. does something that I hadn't seen him do with them, which is mm. that he sort of knits them. To, I've never seen him wear, the, wear them so close to his eyes, mm. so close to his eye line. So it's like his entire brow is lowered once he realises that all of a sudden he's got no friends. You know, mm. he sort of, he, he becomes a much smaller, uh, knotted, knotted character, if you like. Mm. He's... Um, and, and just that one sort of physical choice, I think. Um, you know, he has... Farrell was always a really extraordinary actor to watch because he was a live wire and he was quite yep. exciting. And one of the jokes with this movie is that you get Colin Farrell, who <laughs> by and large is a performer who has a twinkle in his eye and a certain yep. air of mischief about him. And yep. you get all the other characters to call him dull. 
um, you know, which is quite <laughs> funny in itself. Uh, yeah. And then he actually has to play Doll. And sometimes he does it. Sometimes you realize yeah. why people are sort of, you know, backing away from there's him. A fr- there's a consistent sort of, uh, I wouldn't say a frown, but like... It, it, he doesn't it, get a smile. smile. I mean, yeah, he doesn't yeah, exactly. get a smile. That's Except the for the first you know, shot, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it, 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 it's amazing what, what you can do, what you can get an actor to do with their face, you know, yeah. as it conveys so much. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, he has become a, you know, he was a sparky, um, sort of impulsive actor back when. There was a movie mm. he did about 2003 called Intermission, which mm. was sort of um, sort of one of those mosaic films where you've got six, seven or eight characters uh-huh. sort of okay. looking around. Um, and, and he was, you know, a sort of live wire presence in that and was always sort of considered the sort of bad boy of British cinema. Yeah. But I think he, he's kind of, he's matured and he's become more soulful and he's just become a much better technical actor. So he's, you know, his line yep. reading carries so much more weight and depth yep. now than they used to. Yep. Um, and you, you sort of arm him with a script like this, which is full of, I mean, I still think that bread van scene, <laughs> the, the bread van joke in, in Banshees yes. is, is one of the best jokes I've heard all year. Um, yep. and, and that will lodge in people's mind. And, and as I said, in the review, it will get that screenplay nominations and quite possibly yep. awards. Just one joke because it's yep. that good of a joke. Mm. Um, Brendan Gleeson, on the other hand, you know, he seems to be playing the the trademark Brendan Gleeson character for much yeah. of the movie, you know, strong, silent. Um, and then you realize sort of towards the end that actually you need him there. His silences convey a lot. And mm. also he has to that in that role, you need an actor who is going to appear robust enough to survive mm. everything that that character does because he goes yep. to some pretty extreme lengths. Um, yep. And you need to get the, the sense that actually, you know, he's not going to sort of collapse, um, yep. which is, you know, at various points looks like. <laughs> yes. No, I, um, I think with uh, Gleason, at least, it's very interesting because, uh, I mean, Pharrell, I think you, you put it beautifully. I think it's, uh, for me, I think I, I I need to look at his eyebrows the next time I watch this film more closely. <laughs> but but yeah. this time, this time, uh, the two times I watched it, I, I was, uh, I'm, I, I was just, heartbroken in the scene where Brendan Gleeson tells him for the first time that he doesn't want to be his friend and he can't really comprehend it and he like smiles for half a second thinking it's a joke joke. and then it just completely shrinks Uh, his face at least completely shrinks and I was just like that's like heartbreaking in that sense but I think Brendan Gleeson has that thing of he he's like clearly very pissed off all the time it almost feels like but he also doesn't have the energy to say that he's pissed off so it's like he's channeling that in in the film and i think the best i mean i love the scenes with the priest because it's so profane and then it's again another another instance of this uh and i've i guess martin mcdonough isn't as subtle i i initially used to think he was but uh he's not which is not a problem i I, like it's not a deficiency but i but in the priest scenes i think he, he almost gets to express that frustration that he has a lot and it it just completely comes across uh terrifically so i think uh, that's uh, why they call it confession you know that's (laughs) that's that's why it is what it is all that internalized rage has to come out somewhere and it does in those those confession scenes which are yeah which are terrific yeah Yeah. and you know just his work with like even the, the the bit part players and yes, the, absolutely. Know, the supporting actors Barry Keown is, is terrific yeah. and I think he has yeah. the funniest line reading he has the fun- he actually he has the funniest line reading in the movie and the saddest line reading in the movie yeah. the funniest is when uh, he's sat at Colin Farrell's dinner table and the sister <laughs> says don't eat with your mouth full and he goes what are we in France <laughs> now um, and then the saddest is when uh, it becomes apparent that he hasn't got a chance with Colin Farrell's sister and he goes yeah. well that well, goes that goes there goes that dream or you know, there's yeah. that dream gone or whatever and that, that's you know, the lake scene right? heartbreaking yeah yeah, yeah. I remember that like yeah the second time i watched it i think that 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 well that uh dream well there that goes that dream was just yes uh, that's it yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah and i was just like that's just i it, mean that's that line is a perfect explanation of what the film does and that it's yep. very funny but also it just gets at your heart it just yep. reaches and rips yep. your heart out of the yep. chest and kerry condon who I, I think has been sort of energized by mm. uh several seasons of better call saul <laughs> 
Um, and, and actually, the friend I was watching with is a huge mm. Better Call Saul fan and just completely failed to recognize Kerry Condon from, oh, from wow. that. That's yeah, the so biggest I mean, compliment, like, right? Farrell completely yeah. transformed and playing yeah. a, a very different kind of character. I think um, his best, uh, I was about to say his best female character, but I guess it's arguable. Uh, in, no, uh, I, would, I would agree. I would also say that, that that's, that, again, it's quite a low yeah. bar. Um, <laughs> he, he generally is not that interested yes. in female characters. Yeah. Yeah. Except I, I saw in Bruges and I was like, yeah, that's uh, not, not <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that's going to be yes, something. We'll, we'll yes. but, um, no, but, but in this, I think her character is also very much the only sensible one, right? Like the she's only the sort of, of reason, she's yeah, the voice yeah. of reason. And I think she has a, she's a great counterpart to, or like she's the counter to um, Gom almost in the yeah. sense that she does know how to channel her despair in a way, because yeah, she knows yeah, yeah. what it means, but she also knows that there is something she can do that's productive with it. Whereas Gom kind of, prefers to not i feel because he he basically sits around and sort of uh and i think there's a lovely scene between them where he's basically like sometimes i think that i do this only uh only to hurt myself or something like that like in that yeah. that despair is really sort he's of more evident open around her than he is around yes. anyone else i think yes. that's the, the, that's one of the sort of essential truths of the writing here is that, is yep. that sometimes Men open up more about yep. around women than they do around even other men, right? even, even to themselves, even amidst stuff to themselves. Yeah, you know that you know women can sort of draw us out of our shells. Yeah, um, our hard bitten gnarled shells. That's one of the heartbreaking things in the end, also because the letter he writes to Shibon is kind of a lie. And I think that's also another sort of uh, you know you get the sense that that was his one. Uh, yeah. genuine relationship where everything was kind of shared in the open and everything and that kind of also feels like a retreat into something that's he's really... withholding yeah yes yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and of course she gets to you know she's the one character who gets yeah. away from all this. she's got a yeah. life of her own and, and you know she's it's able Spanish. to express herself <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah oh, so is there more do we need to discuss I mean there's we could we could but I just have to, <laughs> I feel uh, we'll we'll take like five, four or five hours. <laughs> but no, I think that was great, though. I think, uh, yeah, the, to the from the sublime to the um, <laughs> to Bruges, I guess. What is it you've done, Raymond? Murder, father. Why did you murder someone, Raymond? For money. Who did you murder for money, Raymond? You, father. After I killed them, I walked home to await instructions. Get to Bruges. 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 Where's that? It's in Belgium. I almost feel uh, Banch- uh, Inisharan is the is closer to hell, though, compared to sort of Bruges, which is purgatory. Uh, do you just think yeah. we're cynical, Mike, that we just like hell more than purgatory? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I can, I can sort of see that. Um, it, uh, Yes, I, do, I mean, I mean, the thing with In Bruges was that I saw it when it came out in mm. 2008 in the cinema and mm. I had a fun time with it. I didn't sort yep. of have it on my, my top, I know a lot of critics had it on their top 10 mm-hmm. list of that particular year and, and thought yep. this was a real sort of breakout for Martin Madonna or whatever. I yep. mean, you know, clearly he, the guy can write dialogue yep. uh, and yep. he can write very funny dialogue and he can write yep. very funny male characters. Yep. Um Going back and revisiting it this mm-hmm. week, um, it struck me that in Bruce is kind of like it's very much a sort of if if Banshees is kind of like the mature work, it's like yes. where Martin McDonough is now after yeah. 15 more years of life experience, 15 more years of making movies, mm-hmm. 15 more years of writing. Uh, in Bruges looks to me like a small child that is determined to mess its trousers every 10 minutes just to sort of catch someone's attention. Um, it is, it is attention seeking. Um, and I think it's, I think it's funny, but heartless. Uh, whereas Mm. I think Banshees is funny and soulful. And I think actually a lot of the jokes in In Bruges come across as quite sort of mean spirited. Um, and, Again, you know, I we're looking at this from yes, from yeah, yeah. This from a completely different perspective. But than I feel it was at, the, at the time, I feel it's a good like comparison, also just because it's the sort of reunion, and then it's a good sort of way yeah. of, of seeing how how differently he's kind of honed in his sensibilities. And uh, it was weird when I I so I I like the I still really like the film, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to like, but I totally get. 
actually most of the criticisms you're saying because I could see the sort of criticisms come out more and I, I've always had an inkling with his films that there are and this is I guess especially the case in Three Billboards that there are wild sort of tonal switches sometimes which I'm like yeah. I don't sort of think it glides to the other sort of tragedy uh, or, co- or comedy as smoothly as it does in Banshee which I think is like his most accomplished in terms of the tonal balance yeah. also uh, but in Bruges uh, I think I do, I, I really like the, I do, con, not connect, but I do feel for Ray's character in the film, which is, so this is basically, in Bruges is about for whoever's not seen it now, which I won't think, I think <laughs> most people have. Uh, but Ray, this is about two hitmen who go to uh, Bruges uh, in Belgium uh, and uh, they're, they, are they assigned to do anything? I don't think they are. They're just there. No, they, they, like, they, they are just there on the... Well, they're sort of there to hide out. Waiting, right? One, one of them has committed a terrible act and they need yeah. to be, you know, pushed off the British mainland for a while yes. until the heat dies down. Yes. So basically it's about them sort of roaming around and then Ray Fiennes shows up. Uh, but uh, but no, I think uh, I, I like the central sort of... Uh, traumatic almost haunting uh i mean it's kind of pitched as a fairy tale almost with the whole bruce setting also and they kind of reference it a lot and then again there's an over reference i think of the fact that this is purgatory and this is sort of the film makes it like there's a whole scene which takes place just to establish that which i thought was yeah kind of clunky but uh it's but, quite a funny scene it's quite a funny scene because they're walking around an art gallery and they see a, a is it um uh, a, Bruegel painting, Bruegel, big, Bruegel, big yeah, of, yeah, Bruegel yeah, Bruegel yeah, painting, yeah. Um, and you know, obviously that those paintings have their own cosmology within it. And, yep. and Brendan Gleeson's character has to explain to Colin Powell, who's interested for the yeah. first time in a piece of art, you know, yes. what this piece, of, what this particular <laughs> piece of art means, and it, you know, it, yeah. it has a sense of purgatory. And yes. I think, yeah, it, it is that that scene is is much more over-emphatic than yep. any, much of the writing that has followed. It and is, yeah, yeah. any of the writing in Banshees, I think. My, um, I guess, the, the, well, it's not a defense, but it's the way I guess I, I kind of perceive the profanity and the sort of, uh, which sometimes I agree definitely crosses over into sort of, you know, uh, do we really need to go there to, like, I, I understand these are profane men who don't know how to express yeah. stuff in like normal language, but like, my only thing with uh, defense, I guess, in that sense, would be that he is clearly not in his senses. And I think whatever he says is kind of just mostly a lot of stuff. And I, I guess that's why I didn't mind. I still don't mind that much the sort of uh, vitriol, some really like cruel, as you said, cruel jokes uh, yeah. made upon stuff. And I think... I think all of the characters, maybe barring um, Brendan Gleeson's, who's the kind of light, uh, or he comes to be the sort of angelic figure, and then Ray finds the sort of de- devil uh, in that context. But uh, except for them, like whatever um, Harry says, Ray Fiennes' character says, in the end, is kind of like an ironic thing because he's basically completely he mistakes whatever is right in front of him and kind of shoots himself uh, unknowing like for no reason at all and kind of it's got that that sort of darkness to it like i felt so and i think um though i will uh, don't want to say bad stuff because i know that you <laughs> <all> said, but, <laughs> but uh, if we've learned anything from banshees is it's good to talk <laughs> these things through and get it no, all out. So I think the one I also think so I'll flag up some of the issues also I had this time around. But I do I can I will repeatedly emphasize I still really like this film, but I don't want to <laughs> like dump upon it at all that way. But I think one of the scenes, the flashback scene I thought I clearly understood why it's there, but the way we go to the flashback scene I thought was very strange. And I was like, maybe he could have withhold like if he because there's a scene where he confesses to uh, Brendan Gleeson's character later on and I thought that was a really powerful scene and I was like you know why would you even have the uh, scene with him going to the showing the uh, a shootout like which actually happens yeah. but it has to be there because then he's going to sort of mirror it at the end I guess so it needs to have like that dramatic impact I guess uh, yeah I think it, I mean 
part of it is a sort of deliberate blasphemy that we, there's mm. a there's a particular image of a small child yes. with a gunshot and wound in his forehead or whatever that yes. you kind of need to get in there to understand the sort of gravity of the situation that they're in yep. so i don't i don't necessarily have any any mm. sort of objection to that i i, I mm. can understand why that's why that's there mm. um i think you know just my my general sort of feeling this time around mm. was that Yes, the Farrell character is basically characterised as a child, and yep. so just sort of is, is blabber mouthing all the way through yep. the movie, and is bored and fed up, yep. um, you know, in the way that a child on a long road trip would be. You know, he's mm. essentially the film is essentially an hour and a half of Colin Farrell kicking the back of Brendan Gleeson's seat, yes. and you're yes. sort of wondering when Gleeson is going to, you know, s- turn around and smack him around the head. <laughs> or but um, even so, uh, just the, mm. the sort of relentlessness of the jokes mm. that are aimed at minorities in this film. Do you know that yes. uh, in this film, that there are gay jokes, there are um, race jokes, race there are jokes. Yeah. jokes. It, it's all, it's it's just relentless. And it, yeah. it, it's just, you know, it, after a while, I sort of back away from that a little bit. I mean, I, I know, you know, Martin McDonough say, well, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. But he's still mm. trying to get laughs out of the audience by... Yeah. You know, by doing that, it's it's that whole thing about to what yep. degree can you separate the art from the artist? I just think he's become much smarter in recent years about mm. being able to separate. I, I think the whole episode with Barry Keoghan's character in Banshees kind of is a good sort of counter example of how he's reined that in much more, yeah. I guess. Uh, or at least sort of. And he, and reining it in doesn't really mean that you don't lose the impact. I even think like it's the impact is still there. Uh, the, the thing about the Barakeen character in, in in Banshees is that he is clearly characterised as the village idiot. Yes. But because Keon is, is such a good yeah. actor, you it, you just sort of naturally sympathise with him. And I don't think yeah. there's, I mean, there may I I may need to go back mm. and have a second. I don't think there's any jokes that are specifically beating down on him, or if they are, they're clearly to establish that a character thinks himself as above the, the level. Yeah, of yeah, it's ma- mainly, I think a lot of times it's uh, Colin Farrell basically saying, at least I'm not like the stupidest person in the... Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like those jokes go towards yeah. characters, um, yeah. to, towards character, whereas I think a lot of the jokes in, in Rouge are just sort of fairly crass, mm-hmm. off the cuff. Um, yeah you know, bashing, basically. And then no, 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 no. Crawl, I think. And I think it's weird. I mean, having sat through, I mean, this was 2008 that it yeah, came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Um, we had sort of sat through here in the UK a whole decade's worth of post-Tarantino, British mm-hmm. attempts to do what Tarantino had done with Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. So the most successful and illustrious of them was Guy Ritchie's Guy smoking barrels mm. but then all of a sudden there was an entire generation of filmmakers who wanted to make crime movies yep. but didn't necessarily have the the budget for them the ideas mm. um but wrote long scenes in which characters sat around doing coke and talking crap um yes. some ways that mirrored a lot of what was going on behind the scenes of those movies <laughs> um but they, they were they were just there was a whole wave of them and they were unbearable and i think one of the reasons this got the great the glowing reviews it did at the time is that this is clearly a cut above most of those mm. crappy british crime movies mm. um but at the same time it falls into a lot of the a lot of the pitfalls there's a lot of you know punching down there is a lot of sort of crassness and, i totally and get that hoping that like... irony will will serve as a defense you know it's that this the tarantino defense of yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, like I, I see the thing is I don't actually have like anything that that doesn't like I agree with you on a lot of these things. It's just <laughs> I, I feel uh, I feel my I, I respond a lot to the sort of dynamic between the three. Harry, yeah. Ken, uh, not Ken, is it Ken? Uh, no, yeah, it's Ken, sorry. Harry, yeah. Ken and Ray. So these three characters, I think everything external from them is the problem almost yeah and everything outside that is where i think it maybe falls into that sort of tarantino iron like it does that and it feels like it's doing it to just be profane and to just sort of uh you know uh i don't know like i i was really a little bit sort of show offy and a little bit yeah with the jordan prentice character the jimmy character i was like 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 especially the ending with his character i was like fairly I guess I want to say provoked, but I wasn't provoked. I was a bit just 
annoyed. Like I, I thought the, yeah. the use of him as sort of a prop uh, in this as a sort of, you know, he's beco- like, it is a prop. Like there's nothing else to him uh, apart from just being that. So, and I thought, yeah, I, th- I, I think that yeah. the Canadians in the restaurant scene that Colin Farrell, you know, has a swing at and he gets yes. to punch a woman. Um, yeah. And then they bring charges against him. So yes, he gets, him, yeah. pulled, he gets pulled off the plane, uh, off the train. train so he can't train, escape. Yeah. Through, so he's, he's yes. brought back. So they, they are essentially there as a plot device, and then it turns out that they didn't turn up for the. It's just said, oh, they didn't turn up for the trial, so that's why I'm, yeah. I'm out. I'm here. Yeah. Um, so they're they're a sort of plot device that not even Martin McDonough is that re- really that interested in, but it allows yeah. Colin Farrell to punch a woman halfway through the film, which is supposed yes. to be, you know, hilarious, really yes. out there, yes. outlandish. So yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, I I think you know to find to find common ground. <laughs> in this style i i do agree i think i think the central trio of actors his work you know he had that ability to work with actors from the outset and i think this film is at its strongest when it's establishing the ray and ken relationship and those early scenes the farrell and gleason characters i think it it, i i will always have a certain amount of affection for this film for allowing us to see ray fines as a comedian even if it is just ray fines doing what ben kingsley had done in in sexy beast you know eight years (laughs) Uh, I need to see Sexy Beast, so maybe I'm giving Ray Fiennes more credit then. But I was, I was really one. I think my best scene or my favorite scene in the film is uh, the long take. Not because it's a long take, but uh, the uh, scene where uh, Ken is talking to Harry on the phone, and Harry's kind of giving this really long-winded morality lesson on like why it's fine for them to like why how he's sort of justified in his own head how. And why it's fine to kill Ray now because he's in Bruges. And I thought that was terrific. I was like, you know, this is like getting at something which I think the whole men- masculinity thing and a lot of times how you kind of find ways to sort of justify it. Justify, yeah. Really horrible. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, that was like a fantastic scene. And like the way sort of it goes through the emotions also. It's like, and then he just gets really pissed off. And then he's basically like, who will not like Bruges? Like it's a fairy tale town or whatever. Like he's basically speaking like a lot of stuff in that scene. And I think that was one of the, one of my favorite scenes. And I think the more it sort of focused on them and their effect on Ray, I thought it was yeah. uh, much more effective. And uh, there is, there is a really yeah. sort of tight, taut, spare Harold Pinteresque crime scenario in this where it's just those three and, three, yeah. and it's, it's almost like you don't need anybody else to sort of get involved yes. because that's where the problems start yeah. um while it's those three sort of riffing off one another um it's it still works and it is still funny i mean yeah. I, I think it's it, it's there are a lot of cruel jokes but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not funny jokes in places yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I did still laugh, but I think I, I think yeah. it kind of falls apart once McDonough tries to get the plot in motion, tries to get mm. everyone where he wants them to be. Come the finale, yes. um, yeah, it's a very sort of it's a very sort of manufactured. Like it feels like yeah. he's putting the pieces together a lot for it yeah. all to sort of fall into place. Uh, Whereas well, I think in, in in Banshees it's much more organic. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, everything comes out of character, and, yeah. and you know, it, it we we kind of know where it's headed, yes. but we understand why it's headed in that direction. Yeah. Did you did you feel? feel I, I know I'm going to Banshees again, but did you feel the ending? Uh, I'm guessing some. I'm guessing there'll be a slight pushback because it always happens because of the because of who who dies in Banshees and uh, as in who not the. Barry Keoghan character, but the the donkey or the yes. pony, uh, yeah. for that matter. You've definitely uh, spoiled it now. Yeah, yeah but I've <laughs> said before that spoilers, but yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So you, you did the warning. <laughs> if you've got yeah. if you've got this far, you know, yes, yes. you're ready. Nah, for they, yes, exactly. No, but do you think? <laughs> uh, did you find that gratuitous? I thought it was a very sort of natural progression of what's going to happen sort of thing. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I, it's one of the, I mean, the whole point of the movie is, is sometimes when men hold grudges, innocent parties suffer from yes. them, for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that, that to the extent where actually I'm not entirely sure that Banshees really needs to have Colin Farrell looking over at the mainland and seeing the civil war going on over there because mm. it works perfectly fine but as exactly. a parable. Yeah. And it's just yeah. as applicable to, yeah. um, yeah, that's very much a backdrop thing. It was to 1922. Yeah, I mean, the so, whole you know, the island of, sorry, the sounds of the island, I thought was very much, like, I didn't, it wasn't a problem for me or anything. It was just like, yeah, no, that's no. another thing. That's it. Like, yeah. it was, 
the because I have I didn't know the history of what the film is set in or anything, so it yeah, was yeah, yeah. something I sort of looked after, looked upon later. And the whole I guess ending echoes how history repeats itself in many ways, and how yeah. men get fine with that, and how men sort of want that want to almost. Uh, he says, "I'm glad, right, that they'll start fighting again, or something like that." Which I yeah, 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 sort of cl- yeah. clinching, sort of what he becomes almost at the end, sort of thing. Uh, we've uh, so our, our our way of establishing common ground and brew just to go back to discuss banshees. <laughs> <laughs> we've learned from history, and you know yes. we're now here in the presence, making you know common ground, <laughs> better decisions. <laughs> common ground. But uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. I think we was. I mean, I knew we were we were going to be civil, but uh, <laughs> we, but uh, but yeah, no. I hope I've not uh, succumbed to agreeing that Bruges is uh, Bruges is a bad. It still works for me. I'm gonna. No, no, no. It's still <laughs> yeah. honestly. I, yeah. I know a lot of people who have that on. Still have that on their their, their top ten list, and, yeah. and you know, very much love it. I was surprised, you know, mm. how much I, you know, and I think it's it's partly because, um. I enjoyed it first time round, but I wasn't mm. as wild about it as some people. So I'm not. I'm not necessarily, you know, as always. And yep. I think this has come up many times in our conversations. The films don't change. We yes, change. We change. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's now what 15, 15 yep. years on when I first first saw it. I'm a very different person to what I was in in two thousand and eight. Um, yep. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> You know, so I, I'm seeing different things in yeah. there now, and I'm responding. We are like planets circling yeah. the sun. So I, I just need to have ten more years, and I'll come. I'll be on the same page as exactly. So. And by that, you know, in in ten, fifteen <laughs> years' time, Farrell and Gleeson will have made another film with Martin yes. Madonna. There'll be a whole trilogy. It's like the Before Sunrise trilogy, <laughs> yes, with slightly grizzled men rather than sort of I would, um, very photogenic yeah. films. I would, I would take that. Uh, and, yeah, I, yes, I, I would like to see a third yes. film. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, uh, I was about to make some flippant comment, but I think I've, I've run, I've forgotten it. Uh, no, I, <laughs> no, 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 yes, I remember now before, and we'll sign off after this is basically, um, you had mentioned and a uh, shout out to Carter Burwell score in both the films. Oh uh, yeah. yeah lovely, he, right? so, there is a terrific profile of him in the New Yorker this way. I mean, he, mm-hmm. it, that's the one thing I, I really still liked about Inbridge. I think the yeah. score is terrific. Carter Burwell yeah. score. He's kind of in that run of naughty's scores. So for mm-hmm. me, I first, I mean, I was kind of aware of the stuff that he'd done with the Coens at the end of yeah. the nineties. And then he did the score for the market, Michael Armoreda version of Hamlet with Ethan Hawke, which is really okay. terrific. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he does scores been... for, uh, Todd Haynes also, right? I think. A lot yes, I think he had. Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, yeah. so I mean, the, all of this in the same period. Yeah. And then he ends up doing the, the great score for, um, Sidney Lumet's film Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, mm. which is one of the great underrated films of the noughties. Um, and yet yeah, always distinctive, always yes. sort of recognizably Carter Boa, yeah. but always finding new notes. And uh, yeah, so I, I love, I do love his, his, his work. And there's a terrific yeah. profile of him that's just been published in The New Yorker. Um, right. So if you're interested in finding out how he works and his life, which is an interesting life and very much yeah. unlike anything I was expecting, that's the place to go and read up. I will link that in the description. Because we haven't discussed him much, and I think his work is fantastic in general too. I've, uh, I think Carol has one of the one of my favorites. Oh, it's gorgeous! Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. terrific. Even these films, I think it's just uh, they have a very like again. I think as you said, like uh, a lot of times you you don't see Martin McDonough as a sort of you know director director sort of a uh, and the score kind of does a lot of heavy lifting in some places too do yeah definitely actually of, in, the, yeah. the, in the new yorker which is uh the new yorker profile which is um about they catch up with him as he's actually scoring banshees mm-hmm. um it does go into how he made certain things work mm-hmm. um on 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 that film and i think um something there's another film that he did quite recently where literally the director to turn to him and just said, I'm out of ideas as to how to oh, make wow. this scene. Can you, you know, drop in an extra note here or there? And literally oh. he put this extra note or extra little bit of music in and the audience has bought it completely. So wow. the music does have an effect on you. And I think yeah. it actually, you know, it, it's, it has a softening effect yes. on some of Martin McDonough's more yes. scabrous writing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the perfect way to put it. And I think that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it was a great 
talk. I hope you guys found it productive. I hope uh, you guys still like uh, In Bruges, and I hope you guys get to watch Banshees as soon as possible, and and hopefully really enjoy it. I would love to know sort of more thoughts on the film. Uh, try and make it positive, I guess, because I I mean it's one of those films I feel with decision to leave, which I know is uh, Mike's favorite. I think of the year. Uh, up there, up there in the top there, five. I yeah. And so Decision to Leave and that are my favorite Banshees. And I think I feel protective to, protective towards them a little bit. So I'm like, be nice about them and then we can chat. <laughs> but, but anyways, yeah, please uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast if you can uh, on Spotify. Please like, share, and uh, I will be linking Mike's tree. Is that that's what you called it? The profile tree. Uh, oh, yes. So, yeah, yes, yeah. everything, everything in the description. Thank you, thank you so much, and uh, khatam. Thank you.